Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. And welcome. My name is Justin. And his name is still... Matthew. Yes. In the intervening time between the seasons, you haven't changed it to, like, Gerald Fuckboner or something. Or Max Power or oh, some shit. That would be so good. That reminds me of our bit about how we should have a gym called Max Health. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. The gym should be called the Health, the health bar. bar. The trainer should be called Max Health. Anyway, and this is Out of the Woods, a Yellow Jackets podcast. And in case you were wondering, dearest listener, that for season two we'd cut down on the irrelevant tangents, oh no, let me disabuse you of that notion. No, no, this is, this is going to be a long episode of irrelevant tangents. Absolutely, And hopefully also some relevant ones, because today... But don't hold your breath. <laughs> yeah, and just don't do that in general, you know, you need to breathe. Yeah, one needs oxygen to live. Today, on this episode, we are going to be covering the premiere episode, the first episode, numero uno, of season two of Yolo Jackets. And let's just say, there's a lot to discuss. But just before we get into that, don't worry, listeners, we won't keep you waiting too long. Got a couple of housekeeping points to make. Uh, first of all, it is very nearly, in fact, a couple of days ago, it was the it was the one-year anniversary of our podcast. Yeah, oh, first wow. episode put out on March 24th, 2022. So yeah, probably it'd be a little after that when you're hearing this. But yes, we've officially been doing this for a year. Matthew, how's it feel? Oh man, it feels fantastic. That's good, that's good. Yeah, no, I'm I'm glad to still be doing this. I'm glad that we didn't become one of those podcasts that just only has two episodes. I know, as as you mentioned. And you, and, you, and you listen to it, and they make a joke about how we'll probably only go two episodes, and you're like, oh no, but you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the thing came true. Anyway, that's great. We had a review. This was actually a while ago, but this was back in January, uh, but I'm just getting to it now, sorry. From somebody with a very cool screen name of Spangled Cyborg... Uh, apparently their real name is Alice Bees? I'm, I'm maybe Bies? I'm pretty sure it's Alice Bees, not 100% sure. Well, regardless, great to hear from you, Alice. And she says, Love these guys, they're so funny and engaging, and have created one of my favourite TV podcasts. Well done. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Well, well, thank you. Thank you very much, Alice. We really appreciate your viewership. If you, like Alice, want to tell us how great we are, or or even not, if you want to leave a, leave a negative review... That's fine too. Just give us a review on uh, on Spotify or iTunes. Can be positive or negative, just as long as it's honest. Constructive. <laughs> Absolutely. And I also got a message on a Reddit from somebody by the, well, not a message, a reply to one of my posts by someone by the name of Twenty Five for Life Twenty Five, who says, "Love your podcast and have so many answers to all your American questions." <laughs> I presume which means the things that we're confused about about American culture. So. Thanks very much for your support, 25 for Life 25. If you want to give us some of those answers, why not put them in a review? Yeah, not to, not to pressure you. Anyway, that's all I had to take care of, so let's get straight into things. Season 2, Episode 1, Friends, Romans, Countrymen. Directed by Daisy von Schadler-Meyer, written by Ashley Lyle, Bart Nickerson, and Karen Joseph Adcock. 
Uh, Matthew, what did you think of this episode? Good. I I I liked it too. I fucking love this episode. It was ah, it was so good. This episode. Okay, weird metaphor. Come with me on this. This episode was like a calzone. Maybe not the most elegantly arranged meal in the universe, but filled with so much amazing stuff, you don't care. <laughs> like, it's all just sort of jumbled about, which I guess is maybe inevitable for a premiere, but it's really fucking good. Amusing gonna, metaphor. Yeah, we're going to have a lot to discuss. And also, let me just take a moment to say, we're all caught up now. We're, we're experiencing this in real time with everyone else. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. We're not going through old material. We're all hurtling through, you know, as Huberstank would say, we're all going in the same direction. And uh, let me take this opportunity to say once again, before we get started, that this is not, repeat not, a spoiler-free podcast. We're going to be getting into all of the gruesome details of this episode. So yeah, we open with a with a longish recap of the first season. Obviously, you probably know what happened, don't need us to go through it. Um, I feel like if anyone hasn't seen the first season, this would be completely incoherent. I feel like it was a good recap, though. Yeah, no, no. It was for what it was, like, to the extent that you can make 10 hours of television show into a three-minute recap. It was a pretty good one of that. It's just that that's sort of inherently uh, a hard task. The one thing that stood out to me is that it specifically showed the death of Jessica Roberts at the hands of Misty and her poisoned cigs. So that's very interesting, because I kind of assumed going into the season that that plot line was just, like, completely non-existent, was not going to be a thing going forward. But, like, this is a fairly... relatively short recap they skip a lot of stuff but they don't skip that that tells me that that's probably going to be relevant to the plot later on yeah so you reckon uh as you said before misty's poisoning days are probably not over yet yeah i mean i'm certain about that but what i do think i think it would be i think it would be (laughs) funny and very like this show if they spend the whole season worrying about getting caught for the murder of adam and they end up going down for the murder of Jessica, actually, like, completely out of nowhere. I think that would be kind of funny, but, again, not making that... Porque no los dos. Yeah, yeah, no. No, it's like, it's like that tum- the good old Tumblr post. I wish my life had previously on recaps every morning so I knew what plot lines were going to be relevant that day. That'd be so handy. Mm, mm. Somebody with a... Crack. And also, to quote a meme I saw, we need a bindicator so we know which bin to put out. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's awesome. We open on some beautiful shots of the snowy wilderness set to Sharon Von Etten's Seventeen, a song which I liked, and let's just leave it there. It has been two months since we left off. I, I'm just going to get into this. I do kind of wish we had seen the immediate aftermath of 110 with, like, Travis and that freaking out at the group or more Nat, I suppose, but I understand why they did it this way, and I feel like this episode does effectively continue to tensions they established in the finale of season one. But yeah, we'll, we'll get more into that later. Panning shots of the cabin of the Yellow Jackets sleeping. Ty and Van are sleeping together, sleeping beside each other. <laughs> I thought I'd had that off at the pass in the attic, and it's tied with a length of rope at the wrist, which, oh, well, we'll get into that. Shauna is sleeping on the ground floor beside where Jackie once did. Very sad. And there's a big theme in this episode of Shauna being unable to let go of Jackie that will be paid off in a pretty amazing fashion. Good old snacky Jackie. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, we're soft launching that as a nickname. Yeah. Uh, listeners, let us know what you think of that. Couldn't hold on to it any longer. <laughs> fairly proud of that. <laughs> Somebody else couldn't hold on to something any longer. Yeah, well. Lottie lights a candle and makes some weird broth. Travis and Nat are suiting up to go out hunting. I love the detail of them lining their coats with the pages of the porno mag. (laughs) Lottie spreads some mystical goo on their palms. 
and waves some incense about them. Nat tolerates this, but clearly isn't thrilled at the situation. She pricks her finger, Lottie does, and it bleeds into the broth. Like, hey, just have some of my blood. It's yeah, a, it, why not? It'll keep you safe. It's literally like the Family Guy bit where... Sorry, listeners, that's still a thing we're doing, referencing Family Guy. Sorry, but... Uh, Get over it. <laughs> where Meg makes Brian a pie, and it's got some of her hair in it, and she's like, part of me is inside you, Brian. How does it feel? It's like Lottie doing that with Travis and possibly also Nat. And then the Stewies are like, cool whip. Mm, cool yeah. Who You're is, eating hair! Who is the Stewie of Yellow Jackets? I mean, Misty is fairly obvious, but I feel like they have different vibes. Maybe that new chick who can't stop singing. Yes! Oh! Oh, I can't wait to fucking get to her. Yes, 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 yes. Again, the whole blood aspect is probably a bit much for Nat, who says, it's not like this wicker bullshit's doing us any good. Lottie replies that, you keep coming back alive, don't you? Which is exactly like that Simpsons bit about Lisa's tiger repelling rock. <laughs> like, but there aren't any tigers around. He's like, I guess that means it's working then. <laughs> Travis, thanks Lottie. Seeming sincere. Matthew, do you think it's weird that Travis doesn't seem to mind that Lottie assaulted and almost murdered him a couple of months ago? I guess it's a little strange, but you know, sometimes you got to just uh, put things in the past where they already are. Wow. That's fucking beautiful, man. I want to write that down. <laughs> yeah, I put things in the past where they... Fuck. <laughs> I think I fucking need a moment. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I think it's just like Stockholm Syndrome plus he just wants anything to believe in at this point because he's so fucking freaked out about Harvey continuing to be missing. Uh, yeah, Harvey continues to be missing. We haven't actually got to that point, but sorry, I'm just spoiling that now. Well, we already mentioned that we were going to spoil some shit, so... Yeah, but, like, I prefer to do it in, like, vaguely chronological order and keep the reveals where they are, but, you know, not, not a hard and fast rule. But, yeah, no, oh, it, well. <laughs> it makes a kind of sense, and I'm sure as we get more into the season, at some point, Nat is going to be like, why do you fucking believe what she's saying? She almost fucking murdered you. Like, I'd have to say so. They depart, and Lottie draws the symbol, that one, the special symbol, on the window. We have a slightly jarring but cool cut to a press conference, which a title card informs us is in 1998. As is immediately pretty obvious, this is the scene of the main character's return. The, the woman speaking at the conference says that the plane was over 600 miles off course. That's interesting. Like, that's a lot further than you'd think to just avoid a weather event. Uh, that's there, not a stone's throw. No, it's like a... It is if you're inhumanly strong. <laughs> the reporters mob the Yellow Jackets as they come out and board the rescue plane. We pretty clearly see Lottie, Ty, Misty, Nat, and I think Shauna. Uh, Nat's hair is back to brown now, so we know they're going to gradually fade that out over the time in the wilderness. Yeah, by the way, uh, why was she blonde for so long again? Because they couldn't be fucked changing her hair around mid-seasons. <laughs> as far as I'm aware. Yeah, we don't see any Travis or anybody else, shall we say. Shauna violently pushes an offending paparazzo. At least I'm pretty sure it was Shauna. That was funny. Lottie ascends the stairs to the plane, but stops. A reporter's voice rises above the others and demands that she tell us something, anything, and she will. Okay, let me just sort of like say this now so it can go for every other scene in the episode. Courtney Eaton is fucking amazing in this episode and in general. Another slightly jarring match cut to Lottie in a mental asylum, flanked by her parents. She stares with a blank expression. Her mother says that Lottie doesn't speak, barely eats, and wanders the house at odd hours. Hmm. 
put a pin in that. Oh, I miss saying that. <laughs> it's like putting on a comfortable old pair of gloves. I- I- Amelia, okay. What is what is your read on this scene with Lottie's mom? She seems genuinely concerned. Do you think she actually is or she just wants her out of her hair? I mean, probably a bit of both, you yeah. know? Like yeah. whenever you've got a bit of a bit of crazy on your hands, you know, yeah. <laughs> mm, there's a lot of it about in the show. Em- Amelia who's Lottie's mother, Amelia Matthews, seems genuinely concerned. I hope we find out more about her because she is the more sort of ambiguous of the two parents, whereas her dad just just fucking sucks, as we'll see. Yeah, she says that they're failing her. The doctor, who has a cool accent, because, well, let's just say so far he has a cool accent, says that he has seen this before and he knows what to do. Malcolm, Lottie's dad, continues to be a twat and is like, Cut to it, Doc! Can you fix her? It's like, yeah, like, like she's a fucking wind-up toy or something and not a infinitely complex and beautiful consciousness. Nothing that a bit of electricery can't fix. <laughs> electricery. That's <laughs> awesome. The song, uh, 17 by Sharon Vanetton, plays louder... As Lottie is strapped to a bed, injected with something, has some kind of anti-tongue-biting device placed on her mouth, and, uh... Ah, Jesus, man, this is fucking rough. She violently receives electroshock therapy. Yeah, while people hold on to her, which, like, you know... Yeah, you pointed that out. Aren't they supposed to say, like, clear or something, so you don't get shocked yourself? To quote the show Always Sunny, about the way they portrayed electroshock therapy was a real moment of... That doesn't sound right, but I don't know enough to dispute it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I mean, I've seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, I've seen Six Feet Under with George, but yeah. But that doesn't mean we're experts. No, no. <laughs> of the many, many things in which we are not experts, electroconvulsive therapy is one of them. Lottie starts whimpering in pain. She flashes back to her vision in Ep 6 she had while being baptised of her lighting those candles in that strange underground chamber. I think this makes it even more likely that this was a real location. But I have more thoughts on that later. Cut two. After that, Lottie in her bedroom at the sanitarium, wearing a lavender... Hmm. Cardigan. Lottie's cellmate is freaking out, but Lottie walks over and comforts her and says, They can make you better. The same way they helped me. Cut two. Well, I'm not going to bury the lead here. Adult Lottie! Played by Simone Kessel, who is awesome. She is addressing a crowd of lavender-clad onlookers beside a lake in a beautiful woodland location. She herself is wearing a rather fetching orange ochre robe. She says, The truth is, nobody can help you. I certainly can't. There's only one person who can really give you what you're looking for. You. Uh, what do you think about this, Matthew, as a philosophy? I mean... <laughs> it's, it kind of sucks. It, it's a bit bunk. Like, I mean, yeah. she's not really saying anything you don't already know yourself. No, I, I, I mean, I frankly, I don't know if I'm the best person to talk about this because I just sort of have an inherent distaste for almost all self-help and motivational speaking. I kind of view it as being similar to, like, Patrick Swayze's character in Donnie Darko. I mean, sometimes I guess you just need to hear the no, thing, yeah, see, even no, if you already that, know it. No, that that said, and, like... You just need, like, the I'm, reassurance. I'm not denying myself with other people. I was talking to one of my friends about it, and she was about, like, some self-help guy that she likes, and she was like, yeah, it's mostly stuff that I already knew, knew but it is actually helpful to just hear it. So, like, that's, that's fair. I'm not going to, like them for that it's just not what i'm personally i mean even as she says like you know you're the one who poisons yourself and you already know how to get better yeah but you just need uh, to like do it (laughs) but as you pointed out that's not always true yeah she's basically dressing it up in like fanciful language but she's advocating a philosophy of like capitalistic ultra individualism about which ironically i think her dad would be proud and yeah the, the thing about this speech like Sorry, just a side note, I just think it'd be really funny if Nat at some point says, how much are they paying you to be here? <laughs> that would be funny. Enough. 
I mean, she's she's fucking rich. She's just loaded. She doesn't need any. But yeah, this speech, while supposedly about her followers, is actually all about Lottie and tells us a lot about her. She says, There is a version of you that knows exactly who you are and exactly what you want. A primal, elemental self. Huh. You mean like the one that Ty's got? Her Lottie? How's that working out for her? (laughs) And she says... There is nothing more painful than hiding that self. Is this about her hiding her mental illness slash powers? Possibly. She says, We want to blame the world for our pain. The parent who didn't support us. Pause. That's definitely referring to her dad. Possibly also her mom. Sad. The lover who didn't love us back. Lover who didn't love us back. Okay. Pin in that. Fucking pin in that. (laughs) Very interesting turn of phrase, Lottie. I think... This is just my theory. This this may not be true, but how I think things are going to play out, I think she is going to be the lover who didn't love back for someone and the one unloved for someone else. And then she says, but the truth is, we are the ones making ourselves sick and the rest of it doesn't matter. It it doesn't matter. I'm conflicted about this because like it's good to take responsibility for yourself, but there are some things beyond our control, you know? Sure. It's like, it's like the, you know that thing, uh, The Secret? Yeah, like about uh, all that manifesting and all that sort of shit. Let me just point out the official position of this podcast. Manifesting is bullshit. If it worked, starving, amputee people in slums would use it to not do that. I mean, but like one of my friends says, like, if you're constantly saying something, then, like, you will become that thing that you're saying. We we are who we pretend to be, so we must be careful what we pretend to be. There is a thing about brain chemistry, and, like, you are what you think, and all that sort of thing. Yeah, to an extent, that's true. Yeah, but but it's not like you can just be like, oh, I am going to make myself win this car I've gone into the draw for. Exactly, that's not how that works if you... If you are saying that is how it works, you are either deceptive or disastrously wrong. Anyway, uh, Lottie says that everything outside of, you know, oneself and their responsibility for oneself isn't real, which is a very interesting thing for her to believe. And then we cut back at the end of this extended intro sequence. We cut back to Lottie at the top of the aeroplane steps in uh, 1998. She turns around, looks uncertain for a moment, and then screams at the top of her fucking lungs. It was it was so good. Like it there's like an on lap to the theme. It's going like ah, and the theme song starts up. It was so fucking good. Ah, it's like don't ask me any more questions about how my experience was. This is my reply. Enough questions. <laughs> so good. Such a great beginning to an episode. Some changes have been done to the credits for season two. Time to overanalyze them. I, <laughs> just some new clips of note. A Classic fa- Justin. Very much so. <laughs> A fellow with what appears to be a beak smoking a cigar. I what, have... What's he got that beak for? Well, presumably we'll find out. I have an idea, but we'll get to that later. A dude in a fucked up The Strangers-esque mask, presumably part of Lottie's cult. A shot of Teen Misty licking blood off her hands. Oh, God. Now, this is really fucking interesting. This is probably the thing that was the most interesting to me in these in these titles. A note with, I am grateful for my friends, written on it. Which, that's nice. And a Queen of Hearts card. And then, almost immediately afterwards, someone is burning a Queen of Hearts card with a cigarette lighter. Now, Matthew, slash listeners, please cast your minds back to episode 8, I think? Yeah, episode 8 of season 1. Wherein Travis is futzing about with those cards, 
And Nat says, there are no queens in that deck. So did he destroy them all? Is this a clip of Cabin Guy burning the cards with a lighter? Why did he do this? Was he some kind of deranged misogynist? Did this mean we're going to get more backstory on Cabin Guy? I hope we do. I mean, isn't Cabin Guy dead? Like, Yeah, 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 but we could get some backstory on him. We'd get a flashback. How'd he burn the cards? He did that when he was alive. Oh, right. So that's his deck of cards, right? Yes. Ah, <laughs> I see where you're going with that. Glad, glad we're on the same page. Young Ty fighting through a snowstorm. Adult Lottie freaking out. Shots of some actual yellow jackets, uh, the type of insect. Okay, two things here. Sorry, just pause, talk about two things. Did you know when we started this show that yellow jackets were a type of insect? Me? Yeah. Uh, no. I also didn't. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought it was called that because they wore yellow jackets. Yeah. So, dearest listener, if you ever, you know, had any doubt that I was a proper dunce, then uh, yeah. Do that so and second second of Lee, and also like relatedly, in the pilot, our most listened to episode, I say something extremely stupid. In the scene at the beginning where Van is face painting Ali, painting her face, I refer to the insect that she is painting on it as a bee. It's like, oh, oh Justin, do you think maybe it could be the thing that the show is named <laughs> after? Oh, you fucking idiot. Oh. So I'm sure at least some of you listening to this now have listened to that and be like, wow, what a moron. Well, hey, listeners, I'm always learning and growing. We're all human. We are. We are. I'm human, as Anthony Albanese would say. And, and he wasn't even in the movie The Thing at the time. Inherently infallible. They'll continue to make big ground things and they'll know <laughs> what they're doing. <laughs> a reference nobody's yeah, going yeah. to get. If you do get that reference, you're cool. And you obviously and you know what? It, 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 follow too much Australian politics. Is such a thing possible? Yes, yes it is. And also, you know what? If you're just listening to this in general, you are cool. Shout out. Yeah. Coach Ben smiling in a high as fuck looking way. And a shot of adult Misty in front of a red curtain that strongly resembles a shot from the Red Room in Twin Peaks. I'm excited to get whatever that is. Shauna, Ty, Van, Mari, and Akila charging with weapons. Oh my god, I can't wait till we get to that. A shot of the man with no eyes who is now has an emo haircut. It looks like shit. <laughs> Beauty. <laughs> Cut to Shauna, being interrogated in a dark room. A distorted voice asks her why she killed Adam Martin. She unconvincingly denies these charges. The voice then asks, So how is the sex? <laughs> so now I'm doing Bane voice. So how is the sex? Mind-blowing or just really hot? And Shauna says that they are definitely not going to ask her that. Because it transpires that this is just a practice scenario with Misty in her basement. And then Misty is like, Oh, so he couldn't get it up? Is that why you murdered him? (laughs) Which absolutely fucking rules, and she's still a voyeuristic little weirdo. I love her. And I love the way Shauna says, Okay, so I think we're done here. When she does that, like, she has not become any less passive-aggressive in the intervening time between seasons. Misty tells Shauna that Shauna was a disaster, and says, The only thing you should ever say to the police is, I want my lawyer. That's why I put it on the cookie. I love that she put I it love on the it. cookie. I, know, I love it so much. It's so <laughs> fucking messed. It, like, indeed, there is a large cookie with I want my lawyer written on it and icing. Which also, I hear, is good advice. Good and delicious advice. Absolutely. Shauna says that she's going to leave. Misty is all, no, you can't leave. Taisa and Natalie aren't even here yet. Shauna reminds her that they are an hour late. Which is actually on time for people who aren't coming. <laughs> Sad. And then Misty is like, but I made punch. 
And uh, yeah, that Hawaii Five O. Yeah, it's just regular Hawaiian punch, but I gave it a cooler name. <laughs> I see a truly uncomfortable amount of myself in Misty, and evidently so do quizzes. <laughs> Misty complains that her efforts to help her friend cover up her crime of passion have gone unacknowledged, and reminds Shauna that she has a lot at stake here too. Shauna reassures her that they were careful. Misty still thinks she missed something. Oh, you mean like his back tattoo, for example? Misty asks if Shauna got rid of all of Adam's stuff. She says yes, but Misty knows that she's BSing due to hesitation. And she's like, and your journals too? Yes. And she's like, answered too fast that time. Oh, I, I love these characters together. <laughs> That's so fucking funny. Misty tries to persuade Shauna to take some punch with her as she departs. To no avail. I think this scene is hilarious and also probably pretty effectively sets up what Misty's arc this season will be. Cut to a dog shelter. Instant alarm bells, given the way the previous season ended. Ty is here. Oh god, the alarm bells are getting even louder. <laughs> the dog shelter attendant asks Ty if she'd like to take anyone to the playroom to get better acquainted. Or should I say, Madam Senator. Ty reacts to this as if she, like, forgot that she did, in fact, become a senator. Like, <laughs> oh right, yeah, that did happen. Fuck. <laughs> god. <laughs> Whose idea was that? That was pretty wild, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, in her defense, she has a lot going on. Ty selects a small, adorable little guy named Steve. Uh, if someone else were here, they could tell you what his breed is. Somebody who knows more about dog breeds, but all I know is that he's a little dude. Uh, reminder, at this point, Ty still thinks that Biscuit just ran away. Mm. The attendant says that she phone-banked for Ty, and says that after these last few years, eh, to be able to support someone who's the real thing, eh, it's a, a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, I had to do it. That's okay. I forgive you. Russell Morris quote. Yeah. I don't think Ty is the real thing. I think that's sort of her, the whole point is that she's not the real thing, but maybe she will become a bit more self-honest, shall we say. This I mean, season. like, is any politician the real yeah, thing? Yeah, no, no, to quote... Self-honest? To, uh, to quote my to quote my mother, how do you know when a politician is lying? Their lips are moving. Yeah. But then there was a great loophole to that. We just elected a bunch of eternally honest ventriloquist dummy politicians. <laughs> and ushered in a state of earthly utopia. But no, no, no. no. Um, Sounds good to me. Yeah. Um, it could hardly do worse than the current system. By the way, like, I... During this during the first season, obviously I'd already watched it so I knew what was going to happen so I could make a lot of dramatic statements like... Oh, I think it, Jackie will be seeing a lot less of that smile in future. Because, like, I knew it was going to happen so I could be sort of smug and, you know, foreboding about it. But now, I have no fucking idea what's going to happen, so my foreboding smugness could be totally wrong. I'm just I'm just still doing it, but this time without a net. <laughs> so that's fun. You know, can't wait to see how that turns out. Maybe you should, like, stop. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some some would argue I should. Uh, cut to Ty, driving away from the shelter, talking to her campaign manager on the phone. I really like the actress who plays the campaign manager, so I'm glad she's back. Uh, she essentially tells Ty, Yeah, we can't deliver on most of the shit we promised, so I need you to start kissing some asses." Yeah, well, politics. Again, yeah, 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 yeah. Same, same shit, different day. Steve is barking adorably during this conversation. Campaign lady is like, Is that Biscuit? Uh, no, it isn't. Ty abruptly ends the conversation. I love the sort of, like, slight trolling of the viewers here, because it's, it's like, starting out with Ty adopting a new dog. It's like they might as well be playing, like, psycho music. It's so good. Borrow all the microwaves. Exactly. 
that's even worse. Sorry, uh, you you didn't ask me Too what much. I what I've no. been doing recently, so I have to make a segue into saying that Sorry. I watched yeah. all those fly movies. Were they good? Yes, all of them. I I like all of them, but I feel like right, 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 right. right the right. second original could have just not been. Yeah, the third original wasn't like that great, but right. at least it had some new ideas. Right, right, right. And like you know, the fly too with Eric Stoltz is. Amusing, but, you know, the actors aren't that great. Yeah. Well, check out more of those thoughts on our The Fly podcast. Oh, yeah. Which will Dude, be, we should have one We of should. Those. We should call it Your Fly is Down. <laughs> Good working title. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It doesn't really, like, make sense or relate to anything else, but it's funny. Anyway. But I understand if most of the viewers haven't seen The Fly you or should. only have seen only, only the Cronenberg one. If, if it makes you feel better, dearest listeners, I've only seen the Cronenberg one. Yeah, whereas I've seen all five yeah, no. twice through. So there you go. Cut to adult Misty looking at her phone, which has a bunch of unanswered calls to Natalie that are distressingly close together in time. She then logs onto an ersatz version of Reddit on her laptop, opens up the official Citizen Detectives thread bored, rather, and discovers to her consternation that someone has a thread up about Adam's disappearance. Oh no! A guy whose post is read out in a voice that sounds suspiciously like Elijah Wood says that he reviewed Adam's last credit card statement, there were a bunch of romantic e-charges lately, and predicts that it's always the husband, or the mystery lady friend, that killed them. So yeah, he's pretty much on the fucking money. Yeah, yeah let's hope no uh, people in... Uh investigative power are reading this thread. Uh, quite. Misty then goes, no! And dramatically downvotes his comment, which is a really funny, funny little bit. More dramatically than you've ever downvoted anything. Absolutely. Caligula, yay, Caligula is here, squawks, and Misty tries to reassure both Caligula and herself that this fellow is just grasping at straws. Great little introduction to this character. I'm glad they didn't give him a full introduction. That would have been too much for this already pretty packed episode. Cut to... Okay, this is not the most important detail, but I gotta get into this. Cut to Callie and her boyfriend Kyle watching some... bizarre fucking reality show (laughs) that involves a dude tied to another dude walking through some hellscape. Like, what is... this? It looked like a clip from one of the German sitcoms from 30 Rock. Human backpackers. Yes. Way (laughs) more strange. That'd be a good name for that show. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, if it is what it was but like yeah Callie is quite rude to Sean as she walks in but like understandably her parents she's freaking out that her parents maybe murdered a guy so you know get Matthew bold statement coming at you I think I might kind of like Callie now oh no I know, don't so, say it ain't so <laughs> so like hey I'm not I'm surprised too but like if you look at it from her perspective she has every right to be freaked out Cal- uh. Callie makes Kyle depart their relationship seems not so great Callie tells Shauna that she might have to break up with him unless I get lucky and he just disappears. Lol. She gets angry at Shauna for not... You want me to get in contact with my guys? <laughs> we can make that happen. I could totally imagine Shauna being like, you know, honey, I could totally murder him for you. I feel you like that would diffuse that situation pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> just uh, like, oh, gross, mom. Oh, my God, you are so weird. Probably what she would say in response to that. Callie gets angry at Shauna for not telling Jeff about her affair. Shauna's like, actually, he knows. And then she's like, uh, Callie is like, how could you do that to him? You're so selfish. 
And, the definition of a lose-lose situation. Yeah, and she was like, what? But you just said. She's like, oh my god! Yeah. Callie is getting mad about this because she doesn't want to just straight up ask her mother, so did you fucking kill someone? The song Drown by the Smashing Pumpkins starts playing. Uh, you're still fairly ambivalent on the Smashing Pumpkins? Yeah, not a fan. That's fair. They're not a favorite band, but I, I don't mind this song. It starts playing as we cut to the wilderness. The first thing we see is an exterior shot of the meat shed and we hear the voice of Jackie? How can this be? So yeah, Jackie and Shauna are hanging out. That may seem somewhat incongruous with the fact that Jackie died at the end of last season, but mm. nonetheless, Jackie and Shauna are hanging out. She has been replaced with... Snacky Jackie. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. <laughs> we, will, we will thoroughly explore the consequences of that nickname by the end of the episode. But yeah, regardless, Shauna and Jackie are hanging out, and Jackie is playing what is called the MASH game. I didn't really know what this is. I'm sure we have some local cultural equivalent game in Australia that's probably called the fucking root and boot and toot and loot game or something. Because <laughs> that tends to be how we name things. They don't just sit around and listen to Suicide is Painless. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that was right there and I didn't make a fuck! <laughs> I'm asleep at the fucking wheel! Jesus Christmas, fuck. Okay. Make lots of sexist remarks and complain about yeah. how you have to perform surgery all the time. Okay, who's... Which... Okay, we gotta do at some point which MASH character is which Yellow Jackets character. Like, who's Klinger? Is Klinger Lottie? Or is Klinger too benevolent to be Lottie? Oh, uh, I don't know. I just want everybody to be Misty for some reason. <laughs> is a... Uh... I'd watch that MASH show. <laughs> yeah, where every character is played by... <laughs> Christina Ricci <laughs> and, and Samantha Henrati, but they just like never acknowledge it. Anyway. I mean, that just reminds me of being John Malkovich. Yes! He goes into his yeah. Everyone can only speak in Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich. I'll have the Malkovich. Fucking love that movie. <laughs> anyway, the MASH game is like you get a series of options and ra- random chance determines which options you have. Like, for example, it's like you're going to live in an apartment. It's, it's sort of like Mad Libs. It's like it determines that Sean is going to live in... It's kind of like a chatterbox or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basic, same like, same basic like concept. It's like on the continuum of the chatterbox, which if you don't know was a the thing where you make the paper into a little mouth man and he says different things on the different sides of him. I love your description of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no better one came to me. It's probably the sort of thing that has like a million different names in different cultures. Yeah, uh, shout out if uh, you have a version of that that is different. Why not write in and tell us? Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it says that she's going to live in an apartment in New Jersey as a stay-at-home mom with $1 million and married to Jeff. Jackie seems vaguely disappointed for her that she's going to be married to Jeff. The genre is like, so basically I'm going to be my mom. And then Jackie's like, come on, your mom definitely doesn't have $1 million. Neither does Shauna, right? Well... She might have at some point to, like, buy their house, but she definitely doesn't anymore. Yeah. But or maybe Jeff spent it all on tickets and tickets to a certain early 2000s band, but we'll fucking get there. <laughs> so Shauna is, uh, it's like, a lot of this is like, okay, I'm just, if this wasn't obvious, she is talking to Jackie's frozen-ass corpse and hallucinating that she's still alive. Very much a fucked-up thing to do. She refuses to let go of her in a literal metaphorical sense, and she's, this is fascinating to me because... This isn't the real Jackie, it's Shauna's perception of Jackie. So this tells you what she thinks she is like and how she thinks she views her, and she's imagining her dead breast friend poverty-shaming her. 
as a form of self-punishment. Shauna gets off on self-flagellation. And yeah, that's that's really fucking sad, but also really fucking compelling. And also a phrase that sounds more gross than it is. Yeah, very true. <laughs> and, and Shauna says that she doesn't want to talk about the future, namely being married to Jeff, and she's all about living in the moment. Yeah, fucking right. <laughs> Back at the cabin, Ty and Van are playing hand soccer, which involves flicking some kind of object to past each other's hand goals. And why is it always a triangle? I don't know, and I also don't know what the object was. I tried to look, but I still don't know. I think it's like a folded piece of paper or something that they make into a little tiny samosa-shaped thing. (laughs) Good, good, Paul. Yeah, I I have no ability to dispute you on that. So, yeah. Uh, Ty wins, because of course she does, but says that Van is getting better. Ty notices that Van's wrist is injured, but Van says it's fine, because Ty has been sleeping through the night since they thought of, you know, tying each other together. Ty says that Van should just lock her up there at night. And Van is like, yeah, okay, Rapunzel. (laughs) Which is awesome. And then Van says that it is her decision to be up there, not Ty's. And she's like, maybe I just want you to tie me up. Ever think of that? (laughs) Bit of BDSM there. I still still love Van, and I still love this pairing, and I'm terrified for what's going to happen to her slash them. So you're saying you ship Van? I... (laughs) I ship uh, Vaisa. Is their portmanteau couple name? Yeah, well, we yeah, have a uh, that doesn't have the double vehicle uh, humor there. Yeah, we don't have uh, we got a travelly uh, chef, <laughs> which is a shorter and Jeff, uh, Shacky, which is shorter and Jackie. We have a, a snacky Shacky. Yeah, a uh, Votty, which is Van and Lottie, and a uh, Naughty, which is a uh, Nat and Lottie. A lot, of, a lot of fucking fun ones with Lottie. That's a fun name to turn into portmanteaus. And she I love that you just had all those on the go. Most of them I just made up. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, fucking top score. Yes. So yeah, Ty is sleepwalking again. This is taking up a lot of their time. So we don't because Shauna is off being weird with Jackie's corpse. She isn't seemingly as close to Ty anymore. And Ty and Van have been forced back together by the circumstances of the sleepwalking, so we don't as much get in the premiere episode the thing about Van falling into Lottie's orbit. But I think we'll get more of that later on. We don't get the theme of the natural, supernatural conflict between Van and Ty this episode, but I'm sure it's coming. Yeah, we cut over to Mari and several others by the fire. She wonders how much long Shauna is going to hang out in the meat shed all day with dead-ass Jackie. But Lottie and Coach Ben tell her it's fine, just a part of the normal grieving process. Akila, who is played by a different person now, uh, she seems to be doing a fine job. It's obviously feel sad for Keir King, the original actress, because I liked her, but you know, shit happens, recasts happen, they happen to the best shows. She says, uh, yeah, or she's gone full on Norman Bates. It is it bad to use the pun teething problems, you know, because of the whole <laughs> cannibalism? <laughs> it's not bad at all to use that pun. And we cut over to three new, but not really girls. Crystal, Melissa, and Jen. Uh, Matthew, did you find this jarring? Were you like, who the fuck are these people? Uh, no, not really. You recognise them from the background? I was No, I didn't recognise them <laughs> from the background, but I immediately went, oh, these must be the people that previously had no airtime. Good, I was good, just good. Like, if I don't recognise them from before, they must be the faceless, nameless people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very, very smart supposition for you to make. I was glad that they're, they're now getting some airtime. Me, me too, me too. I think it's just Even to make us... they probably th- just get eaten. I think they're just... It's to make us care about them somewhat before they're, they get eaten. become nosh. 
the character of uh, Melissa asks, what do you think they're talking about? And uh, Jen replies, I don't know, gods of the dirt? They're jock boyfriends? Yeah, shows how much you know. <laughs> the only one of them that currently has what you could describe as a boyfriend is Natalie, and Travis would be very offended if you referred to him as a jock. And they get mad at Crystal for singing. Crystal is the sort of slightly nerdy girl with them, played by a new Jez Isman. Crystal <laughs> is adorable. I find her adorable. She's sort of... This scene establishes her as being the Misty of the JV group because she's humming. And they're like, Crystal, stop singing. She's like, I wasn't singing. I was humming. And Jenna's like, cool, fucking stop. (laughs) (laughs) It's a hilarious line. You know, it seems that the character of Jen uh, being in this hellish circumstance is really getting to her. Amazing line delivery from Maya Lowe, who plays Jen. Crystal is adorable. I love Crystal. Also, side note, if if she's so fucking annoying, like... Well, hang out with How her. do we get through two months without her being acknowledged as annoying? <laughs> because she's only annoying to the people that hang out with her all the time, the JV club. It's it, 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 it's it, it's literally the joke in, sorry, the movie Pitch Perfect, where there's just another group of girls that are with them that were never acknowledged by anyone. They're like, oh my god, we've literally been here the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think. I've never seen those movies. Don't, I've don't, never planned don't. to. Yeah, she's annoying, but she's quietly annoying. And I actually don't think she's annoying. I think she's awesome. But anyway, cut to the meat shed, where not actually Jackie asks Shauna how the whole Jeff affair started. And she's like, that's probably why I'm still here. You're like holding on to me or whatever. And she always will. Jackie asks how it started. Sean replies that it did when Shauna and Jeff were walking through the woods after the cops broke up a wild teen party they were at. Apparently, Jeff and Jackie had just had their millionth fight, and Jeff told Shauna that Jackie said that she didn't know if he wanted to be with him, if she wanted to be with him. Jackie takes objection to this and says that they were fighting because she wouldn't have sex with him. And again, let me take a moment to say that this is just Shauna's psychological projection, so we don't know if this is actually true or not. Again, like I said, Sean, I think Shauna is imagining this to hurt herself as a weird self-flagellation exercise. And Jackie's like, so what happened next? Did he kiss you? Silence. Holy shit, you kissed him. Why? And she's like, I don't know. He's like, yes, you do. Say it, Shauna. I want to hear you say it. Why do you think she kissed him? Because she wanted to fuck him. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm sure that was a big part of it, but I think another part of it is that she wants to be Jackie. To consume Jackie. To finally, finally be better than her at something. Get out of her shadow. Yeah, yeah, get out of her shadow, exactly. And, like, be be better at something other than scholastic pursuits, I mean. And she's like, stop! She pushes Jackie over, and Jackie reverts to corpse form. Panicking, Shauna props her upright and notices that Jackie's ear has fallen off. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> fucked up shit has started happening. Well, even more fucked up shit has started to happen. You can't exactly stick it back on her. Ugh, this is so gross. Doesn't stop her trying. No, so Shauna puts it in her pocket for later. Safekeeping. <laughs> you know. Quite. Shauna. Defrosted a bit. Mm. Mm. Shauna brings. Check it on auto defrost. <laughs> Shauna brings some bear meat back to the cabin, saying there isn't much left, so she had to reduce their rations. Ty looks at Shauna with concern. Cut to adult Shauna opening her safe, who removes Adam's ID card, which she probably kept for obscure sentimental reasons. Also... As any serial killer might. Yeah, lol. See, that that's another way to take it as, like, a fucked up trophy. But yeah, there is a drawing of her that he made on a receipt, and then she finds 
a key with some paint on it, and she realizes something unfortunate and calls Jeff at his job. Jeff is at the furniture store and makes a dumb chicken nugget department joke because he is selling... Six- also, you fucked up that line, so I get to interject with... Also, she finds a sketch of her, which makes her think, oh no, maybe those portraits of me in the warehouse. Also that. Also that. Very good. Very good. Well put out. Well pointed out. But yeah, Jeff is like, he's the chicken nugget department because he's selling six pieces like it's my job. Which it is. Because I mean, it is. It is my job. <laughs> Jeff update. Jeff still rules. He apparently sold a fuck ton of furniture today. Shauna interrupts his revelry by telling him that Adam... At an art studio somewhere. She says she knows where it is, but denies ever going there. And he's like, what's in there, do you think? He asks, clearly bothered. Hmm, quite a difficult loose end to tie up. We cut to Parkside Elementary, where Sammy is getting out of school. Ty greets him in her car with Steve, whose existence makes Sammy very excited. He's like, oh my god, a new puppy. But sorry, Sammy, you can't have anything nice or good in your life because Simone bursts onto the scene and is like, You stay the fuck away from him! And Ty is like, uh, what's going on? Simone tells Sammy that everything's okay, baby. Go away from me over there by the fence. And so he does. As I pointed out, this is just his life. Walking away so his parents can fight. Just working on his smiles and cries, to quote Training Day. Oh. Oh. Sad. And Ty is like, the fuck is going on? And then Simone is like, I found that thing in the basement. And Ty, genuinely bewildered, is like, what thing? Simone is like, you're not well. And if you don't get help, real help, you will never see Sammy again. And Ty is like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And she's like, then let me put it in terms you will understand. Fuck you. (laughs) No, that's what you said. But no, she doesn't say that. She says, if you don't step down from office and seek treatment for whatever this is, I will have no choice but to go to the press. Do you understand me? Which, yeah... Seems intense, but if your lover was murdering dogs, you know, you would probably react similarly. Yeah, just be like, maybe you need to go uh, seek psychological aid. Indeed. Ty is all like, what the fuck? Simone and Sammy depart, and Steve barks, and Ty goes, fuck, and hits the steering wheel. It's a great little moment. Uh, A little rushed, but understand... Uh, The scene feels a little rushed, but it is a very understandable reaction. Cut to Nat and Trav wandering through the snowy tundra. Creepy music is playing. Travis sees something that he takes to be Harvey's frozen corpse and freaks out and runs towards it. We like, and we see what he sees, which is initially Harvey's fucked up, desiccated head. It's pretty awful. But as he gets closer, it transpires that it is just a frozen fox and Nat reassures him. Travis freaks out. She calms him down. The poor guy is carrying around a lot of guilt. Travis says they should start heading out even earlier and covering more ground, and speculates that Harvey might have found another cabin or something. Nat says that they can do so if he wants, but she doesn't look very hopeful. Okay, I'm putting my cards on the table now. I think it's so unlikely that Harvey survived that thus, according to TV logic, he obviously did survive. Yeah, I, I still think, like, you know, what what would he do to survive? Well... You think well, he'd just make some sort of, like, you know, snowfall. pine tree limb no. TP or something and just I have a very... wades out a blizzard and then somehow finds something to eat and a source well, of water and all the rest of your it? Your scepticism is very, very logical. You know, you're raising a lot of very good points, but I have a very specific theory for how he might have survived that I will get into at the end of this episode when a certain 
thing that I think is important to that comes up. Okay, I look forward to that. Please do. I yeah. will. So yeah, um, before they go, Nat marks the tree with a red thread, and they go home. Good idea. Good idea, Nat. I'm glad that somebody is still doing useful things. I mean, to be clear, the others' reasons for not doing useful things are very understandable, like <laughs> suffering from psychotic night terrors, stopping your girlfriend from suffering from psychotic night terrors, or talking to your grief-induced hallucinations. I'm very sympathetic to that, but I'm glad that somebody still has their head kind of screwed on. Cut to the present day, to the sleazy motel that Natalie was staying in. Misty walks into the, uh, to the lobby or whatever, and sees a guy behind the counter reading a book, and is like, hi, are you the manager? And I love this guy. He <laughs> fucking rules. He's so amazing. He's amazing. He's like, no, I'm actually the lookout. My partner's in back working the manager over until he gives up the combination to the safe. <laughs> We're going to steal the Duchess's jewels. <laughs> fucking love this dude. Misty asks what happened to the woman in room 135. He refuses to tell her. Misty describes Nat as brunette, stunning, looks like she'd stab you. Oh, she's my best friend, and she wouldn't have left town without telling me, so something must have happened to her. He still refuses to tell her anything. He's like, oh, let me check my records. But you didn't do anything. Oh, really? <laughs> That's funny. And then, so Misty casually reveals that she knows this fellow's name, Larry, address, and social security number. Lol. This doesn't seem to intimidate him very much. He goes, Look, lady, I'm gonna level with you. The water pressure here sucks. The ambiance is a heady mix of imminent tragedy and broken dreams. Fuck that rules. <laughs> and we don't have cable or Wi-Fi. The one thing we do have is discretion. You ever stay here before? The answer is no. Even if you have. You, you haven't. haven't. If you catch my drift. Misty then just says that she has two days off work, an abnormally large bladder, love that, <laughs> and the latest Nora Roberts novel, of course, in her purse. So she'll just wait. Irritation accomplishes what threatening could not, and Larry tells her that Nat left in the middle of the night. Misty quickly leaves. Probably just uh, to get him her. trying to get rid of her. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Jeff and Shauna are investigating the weird apartment complex-looking place where Adam's studio is. Jeff opines that it smells like chronic in here. It's like, I, I love that. Like, I love that they... That's exactly what this type of guy would call weed. Of course yep. he would call it chronic. The song Number One Crush by Garbage is playing from another room. Matthew, I'm guessing you thought this was garbage? Yes, I thought the garbage was garbage. Cool. Shauna knows it's Adam from the coexist sticker on the door. I love that detail. And then Jeff, well, this is funny, he says, How do you get an art major off your front porch? Pay for the pizza. Yeah, which is a reference I did not understand. Please explain. Uh, okay, okay. The joke is that art majordom is such a useless degree that you can't get any good jobs via it, so the only job that is available is a pizza delivery boy. Uh-huh. So that's the reason an art major would be on your porch. So to get rid of them, you pay for the pizza. I think I get it now. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it is a bit of a weird joke. But yeah, I love Jeff nagging Adam even after his demise. The room is full of a fuckton of pictures of Shauna. Some naked, all hot. Except for one where it looks like she's a hideous, mutant, red, muscle, flesh-faced demon with an exposed skull. But depending on your taste, maybe also that one. Yeah, that was pretty brutal. Ah, oh, it's so fucking good. Oh, I love this scene so fucking much, dude. 
Yeah, Jeff is all like, did you pose for him? Jeff feels understandably insecure. To make him feel better, Shauna says, the thought of you with someone else always scared me. But it also turned me on. Someone else's tongue in your mouth. Their smell on you. I used to think that made me some kind of pervert. And he's like, well, what do you think now? That I like being the way I am. And that, in a fucked up way, makes me kind of happy that she's no longer repressing herself. Uh, Matthew, how did you interpret this? I took it to mean, I have a fucked up cockledry fretish, so you should try to. I mean, that's certainly how it turned out. Yeah. Jeff then starts And to... I also had the thought, oh my god, didn't you come to clean up this murder scene, not yeah. just add more evidence? <laughs> add more uh, genetic material, ew. Mm. Jeff then takes her from behind while staring at the fucked up demon painting as the song gets louder. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> Talking of such things, cut to Shauna in the past, contemplating Jackie's severed ear in the attic. Ty then calls up to her, Shauna, dinner... Quite. As a side note, I'll be very interested to see how Ty and Shauna's relationship develops this season. That's one thing I'm very interested to see. Uh, Mari admonishes Misty for stirring the stew, which is apparently against the rules. And she's like, it's not like I'm going to poison anyone. Again. (laughs) The others, perhaps understandably, do not find this to be a terribly convincing argument. And Akila says that Misty drew the four this morning and must go and empty the water. Misty and I'll just imagine her being like, fine, I'll just poison the water then. Fuck you. Quiet. Misty doesn't want to empty the almost frozen leaking water bucket, but she must. Frankly, with her rapidly falling stock in the group, I'm impressed that they haven't made her sleep outside or in the outdoor porno shack. <laughs> well, so, that's what so, they did to Jackie. Yeah, yeah. Well, true, true. Yeah, I guess you Didn't don't want to. Didn't have super great results. I guess you don't want to do that. Unless you want more snacks. <laughs> Lottie ladles out soup for everyone. Ty asks Shauna if she is okay. She says that she is. Ty clearly doesn't believe her. Go back to the present. Jeff and Shauna finishing their lovemaking session. Seemingly he uh, couldn't close the deal, shall we say. What, he didn't come inside I don't, her? I don't think... I think he lost the thread, is what I meant to take from it, because... She's like, oh, Jeff. And he's like, let's just destroy the pictures or whatever. Yeah, and then they, they get rid of the pictures with some turpentine. It's like, man, destroying the images of your wife painted by her fuck toy, including one that betrays her as a fucked up demon monster after a disappointing sexual encounter with your wife when you were staring at the fucked up demon monster. I love this show, dude. <laughs> you, you don't get that in every show. Uh, cut to Misty. Jimmying the lock of Nat's room with a credit card. I think this is one of those things that's a lot harder than it looks. And then she enters. If it even works at all. Yeah. We cut to the past rapidly. Crystal is outside after just going to the toilet in the outhouse and starts singing that song that's like, That's the story of, that's the glory of love. And she's still adorable. Misty, unbeknownst to her daughter there, is like, Oh my god, shut the fuck up! (laughs) It was extremely funny. Crystal apologizes and says that she was just singing to help herself go to the toilet, uh, grease the skids, as it were. Mm. And we can get into the specificity of the meaning of such a phrase, but we can also not. Yeah, I, I vote not. Yeah. Crystal says that she involuntarily sings and is like, Crystal, stop singing, you're annoying everyone, but then I just end up doing it anyway. Oh. She says that Misty should try singing to help with her uh, bowel motions. And Misty says that she can't sing. And she's like, everyone can sing. You just need a good vocal coach. 
And she proposes that Misty and herself harmonize. Which would be amazing. That like, would be imagine amazing. if there was a Yellow Jackets a cappella group. Oh, imagine if there was a Yellow Jackets musical episode. Oh, and it was like a Jesus Christ Superstar yes! or a Jesus Star Requiem or something, yes! even though it hadn't come out yet. <laughs> oh, that would be so fucking good. But yeah, Misty seems to like the idea of them harmonizing. It's pretty clearly set up that these are both desperate, lonely, awkward people that are searching for someone to befriend and. When these two worlds collide, something fantastic is going to happen. Nat debriefs with Coach, also in the past, in the cabin, after her unsuccessful hunt. He's like, how did it go? And she's like, you know, fine, apart from the fact where we totally failed. (laughs) And I I really like that they're, you know, keeping the friendship between those two characters alive. Uh, She's drawn a map on the back of a school worksheet, a detail that I love. (laughs) Still got that hanging around. They have a giant combined Pepe Silvia-esque map of the wilderness. I'm glad someone is doing that. And Nat says that there is zero sign of game. Or Harvey. Both Nat and Ben agree that Harvey is probably deceased. Saying that there's just no conceivable way. Nat agrees, but it's like, oh, you know, Travis. Eh, poor Travis, festering in so much guilt. We cut to present Misty. She be sad. She thinks that Nat left without telling her. She's like, do not cry about this, Misty. Babies cry. Until she discovers that the doorway is damaged from when the culty chaps forced entry. And she's like, I knew it. Uh, she comes out and looks at it, and apparently there's a security cam opposite. Wonder if it works, judging by what, you know, Larry was saying before. It probably fucking doesn't. No, it's, <laughs> it's just a deterrent. Mm, but we'll see. And we cut to adult Nat for the first time this episode, screaming and tied to a bed. Saying, get the, I mean, get the fuck out of here! Ah, get, ah. You know, lots of screaming like that. A young lady in a rather fetching purple jacket opens the door. This lady is Lisa. Nana's like, who the fuck are you? Lisa's like, okay, rude. And then Nat points out that that's pretty, you know, cheeksome for her to say, given that they kidnapped her and tied her to a fucking bed. But then Lisa replies that that was just because they were afraid Nat might hurt herself. Which... In their defense, she was trying to do at the end of the first season. And she then, didn't know the shooter face off. Yeah, she? yeah. But Nat says that that thing around her neck tells her all that she needs to know because Lisa has the symbol on her necklace. Nat points out that Lisa must undo her if she's able to eat. And then Lisa deigns to unfasten one wrist and Nat is like, we'll make a decent kidnapper out of you yet. Which fucking rules as a statement. Nat begins to eat her slightly crap-looking meal... And then we cut to Jeff, being angsty in his car about his prior sexual performance, and... (laughs) Oh my god, this scene. (laughs) This fucking scene. He then lets out some aggression by putting on a song and air drumming. The song is Papa Roach's Last Resort. (laughs) Which, uh, yeah, you don't even need to ask my opinions about it. You don't, and... I imagine everybody can just kind of fill that in. I unfortunately kind of like this song. And, okay, hear me out. It was on so many original Star Wars, Clone Wars, and Dragon Ball Z, and Avatar The Last Airbender AMVs on YouTube in 2007 that I watched that I kind of, like, legally have to like it. I'm, like, grandfathered in to like it. I mean, I don't think that's a good reason. (laughs) You, you... Like, like just because you were, like, you know, 14, liked it, doesn't mean you have to like it as you now. No, it doesn't. But it does. 
<laughs> it doesn't, but it does. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. Maybe the, this fucking air drumming is amazing. It's maybe the hardest I've ever laughed in this show. <laughs> or at least up there. I mean, it would have been way cooler if he was like air drumming to In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins. Oh, but like. We have to make an edit of that. That's with that. Oh, it, that'd be it'd so be good. a bit obvious, though. A bit obvious, but also funny. I feel like Papa Roach is exactly the sort of band this guy listens to. He probably also listens to the Bare Naked Ladies. Anyway. And um, like, uh, let the bodies hit the floor or something. Yes! Oh, drowning pool. Oh, yeah, drowning pool. Or one of the other songs by Drowning Pool, which people definitely know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We cut to... It's all just a real 2008 fair for us. Very. We cut to Shauna destroying Adam's shit and apparently her journals on the barbecue. But let's just say I'm a little skeptical that she's in fact destroying all her journals because she seemed to really want to, you know, hang on to them before. Jeff plans to make franks and beans on the barbecue as an excuse if anybody notices the smoke. Shauna's like, that's smart. And he's like, I have my moments. Do you? Do you, Jeff? (laughs) No, you do. He uses a lot of lighter fluid. Reminds me of that gif of Homer using an insane amount of lighter fluid from The Simpsons. It's still good. It's still good. <laughs> they burn the stuff a little too well and end up accidentally burning a nearby tree and just barely manage to put it out with a rag. Lol. Metaphor for their relationship. <laughs> it's very, uh, very shambolic, but they work it out in the end. We cut to adult Ty in her basement who hugs or smells one of Simone's university shirts and then admonishes herself and says, that is some sad-ass divorce shit right there, Ty. <laughs> she then goes to check out what was so offensive in the basement and discovers, dot, 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 the fucked up biscuit head on the altar. Ah, she's surprised, but not like that surprised, you know? Which I think is because she's done kind of fucked up shit like this before. But still, like, it is alarming that you can do that in a sort of fugue state. It is alarming, and fugue is a good word. And this reminds me of something that I read on on the subreddit, so I'm not going to claim to have invented this, but it's a really fucking cool point, is that in the scene in episode one of season one at the party where Jackie is making everybody compliment each other at the party, the compliment she gives to Ty is, you have more fight in you than anyone I've ever known. That's foreshadowing the fact that she has a literal fight in her. She yeah. has a fight in her between herself and her other personality. That's so fucking good. They're at war. I love this show, dude. Steve runs into the room all excited. <laughs> and she picks him up. You mean all up. excited or? Yeah. She... <laughs> Sorry. <sighs> she picks him up. He can presumably see Biscuit's head and is like, hey, what the fuck? And then Ty is like, this was a mistake. I'm going to do better with you. Uh, I hope so, but probably not. <laughs> Talking of dogs, we cut to Jeff and Shauna and Callie having dinner. Jeff fails to make a joke about buns and hot dogs. He was like, uh, what did the... I have a theory on that, though. Okay, what do you think the bun said to the hot dog? He should have started with, what did the hot dog say to the bun? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna get inside you! <laughs> Bit of a dirty joke, but, yeah. you know, I feel like it works. Let me go in between your... Buns, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get right in there. Uh, listener, if you have a know. better suggestion than these, which would not exactly be a difficult task, write in. Or don't. Or don't. <laughs> it's totally up to you. Shauna and 
him have fun hypothesizing other punchlines like other stuff can go in me too which for those of you who think that Shauna is bisexual that could be a thing for that <laughs> Callie is not really having any of this it's like I'm glad you guys are enjoying your pig anuses but I'm gonna go grill myself a veggie burger uh, Jeff offers to do so instead because as he says old fashioned dad shit is his love language cut to the past Nat and Trav are hanging out, watching the Stone Age TV at night, which is what they called the fireplace, which I thought was really cute. That honestly sounds like something that, like, my mom would say. Nat goes in for a kiss, and Travis pulls back. Interesting. You could interpret that, like, oh, he's just not thinking about romance now, but as we'll soon see, some parts of him are. <laughs> I didn't intend for that to sound that filthy. I'm sorry. Trav starts having a panic attack. Lottie tries to help him in the manner that she later does in her sanitarium cell. She says that breath is the only thing in the world right now. And they breathe together. It's kind of a clip. Lottie, or possibly Travis, or possibly both of them, hallucinate a tree stump. A mossy tree stump. Was this the one where they placed the altar? Maybe. I'm not sure. It's definitely a mossy tree stump. And that will be important later. And he calms down, they come out of their seemingly shared hallucination, and Travis uh, has a pants tent, shall we say. Yeah, which I missed the first time, and yeah. I was just like, oh, how'd I miss that? Quite. And he's immediately embarrassed and covers this up. I'd have to imagine that Nat notices this and feels a bit fucking weird. Uh, Lottie tells him that Harvey is alive. He seems to find this reassuring. Nat, freaked out by this, rapidly ushers Lottie into the other room and is like, What the fuck was that? Harvey is... She can't bring herself to say it. But she does say, Giving him false hope is just going to make things worse. Lottie says, There's no such thing as false hope. There's just hope. And Nat is like, Did you read that in a fucking fortune cookie? <laughs> which, I, which I loved. And then Lottie's like, What do you want from me? I just said what I felt. And Nat says, I want you to say less, Lottie. A lot fucking less. Try saying that sentence ten times when you're drunk. This sets up what I think is going to be the conflict of this season. Rationalism versus spirituality. And specifically, Nat versus Lottie. Cut to the present. Lisa returns to aid Nat. And Nat unexpectedly, or expectedly to us, but unexpectedly to Lisa, stabs her in the fucking hand with her fork. Ah, it's so fucking awesome. Nat is fucking hardcore. She steals the key, breaks out of her restraints, and runs out of the cabin. Tense music is playing. Nat wisely avoids some people playing the acoustic guitar. <laughs> good. Don't good. you dare just play yeah. Wonderwall. We uh, know you're going to. Uh, don't just play the same five fucking chords in order and expect to be sexually rewarded for it. Five's fucking generous, to be honest. <laughs> is it ever? We knew several of that guy. No, it doesn't quite. everybody. Yeah. Nat runs through the really cool and beautiful looking woods as ethereal music plays. She's being chased by Lottie's attendants. We cut to a sleeping van and Ty in the past. Ty wakes up with an interesting look in her eyes and smooches Van. Van wakes up and is initially into it before Ty bites her lip excessively hard and she yells and pulls away from her. Ty wakes up. Because she was sleepwalking. That wasn't the real tie. This made me think, okay, previously the only things she's done while sleepwalking are sacrifice dogs and eat dirt. But now apparently the alternate personality that takes over, the bad one, if you will, is uh, kinky. Which is an interesting piece of information to learn. 
Vance. I think I was right. Wonderwall only has like three chords. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think we were still talking about that. We weren't, but no. I, yeah. That's anyway. fair. Yeah, Ty says that she's okay. Van says that she's okay. Ty says that this arrangement isn't working and that Van shouldn't sleep in the attic with her. And then, and then, this is a line that as, you know, the resident member of the vanguard, as it were, lit up in bright neon letters, is her saying, you think I can't handle this? Which, I think that line and the way that she says it is very... Foreboding? Yeah, and very, like, child of an alcoholic, which we know she is because she has to wake her drunk mother up in the first episode. It's like, hey, I've helped my severely drunk parent do more fucked up shit than this. I can handle it. And it's like, oh, that's so sad. You shouldn't have to handle this, Van. You shouldn't have to handle any of this. It makes me love you so much that you want to, but you shouldn't have to. And she says, I'm not scared of you, Ty. I'm never going to be scared of you. It's so beautiful. But Ty's like, well, maybe you should be because you're bleeding. And Van says, this isn't you. It's just something that's happening to you happening to us and like I don't know if you're a person that struggles with mental illness hearing this isn't you it's just something that's happening to you is maybe one of the best things you can hear and that's really fucking beautiful dude and then Van tries to make it feel better by pointing out that you killed a wolf for me which is about the most romantic thing I can imagine <laughs> so I was like you're nuts it's really cute Van takes the blood in the slight wound in her gums and takes Ty's wrist and writes, I love heart you on Ty's arm in her blood. <laughs> it's probably the most brutal way. I know. That. It's fucking, it's so fucked up yet so adorable at the same time. It's so fucking good. Ty is like, this is how you're choosing to say I love you for the first time. <laughs> He's like, yes, if, if you don't like it, uh, deal, the yeah. exit button's right there. <laughs> Quite. And then Van's like, you're kind of leaving me hanging here, lady. And then she did take a little while to respond, which, yeah, but she did respond. She says, I love you too. Oh, it's so cute. They start making out. Uh, it's really cute. Uh, they're going to break my fucking heart, aren't they? Probably. We, yeah. We cut to Nat staggering through the woods. She can hear some of the drum beats of a bizarre procession of lavender-clad cultists in bizarre animal masks. These animal masks look fucking terrifying, and really cool. Hey, okay. What the fuck is going on here? There's a, a, some kind of ceremony, and a naked, middle-aged fellow is getting buried alive? And he looks slightly surprised, but not overly upset to find himself being so? What the fuck, dude? Yeah, I got nothing. Is this some kind of assisted suicide? Is this what happened with Travis? I mean, like, if, if it was assisted you'd suicide, choose a different like, method. surely you'd pick something better. I mean, maybe they're about to give him, like, a death pill or something, but we'll, we'll maybe we'll find out, or maybe we just... Flick that in, just, like, wash yeah. it down with a few quaffs of dirt. Yes. Yeah. I got the idea from my friend Ty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I... Maybe we'll find out what was going on in this ritual. Or maybe we won't. Maybe it will just be a weird, fucked up, unexplained thing. And that would honestly kind of rule. Nat grabs a big stick and runs towards Lottie, who is there, also looking very fetching. And she has a, you know, a spot of rumpus with a cult member. And then Lottie is like, it's okay. 
she's my friend. Nat speaks loudly and carries a big stick. She's like, is that what we are? And Lottie's like, Natalie. She seems super happy to see her. But the feeling is not mutual because Nat says, give me one reason I shouldn't cave your head in and put it in that hole. Which fucking rules. And then Lottie responds, because I have a message for you. From Travis. And I'm really excited to find out what that message was in the next episode. Because there, we leave that storyline. Because the the clips from the trailer we've seen are of Nat and Lottie hanging out in a seemingly somewhat amicable way. Which I don't think Nat would ever do if she thought that Lottie murdered Travis. So I think we're going to find out that there's more to that story. Or unless she had, you know, dudes with rifles pointed at her backs. Or that? Very possible. I don't know why I pluralized backs in that sentence. Hey, we, we... It made sense to you at the time. And we cut two in our final sort of group of scenes of the episode and a group of amazing fucking scenes. Shauna, pacing about in the attic in the past with Jackie's ear. Cornflake Girl by Tori Amos is playing. A great song in my opinion. Sure. Yeah. Indicard with Callie looking at the barbecue and finding the remaining scrap of Adam's license. And wouldn't you know it, it's the one with his fucking face on it. Dun, dun, dun. This better not come back to haunt them. Lol. That's, that's a great little, like, best laid plans of mice and men thing. Little, the fucking fly in the ointment. Wouldn't it be the ultimate betrayal if her daughter yeah. turned her into the feds? Well, she would probably think so. Although Callie would argue that she was just doing what was morally right. Anyway. Yeah, for the first time. <laughs> now. No, 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 no. This is the thing I have a theory about. In the past... Nat and Trav find a moss-covered stump, just like in the vision. Somehow, the moss and greenery has survived on here when everything else is pure white snow. Here's my theory. Okay, relates to Harvey. Just, just, just let me, you know, let me know what you think of this. Fire away. Remember how in episode six of the first season, Lottie is getting baptized by Laura Lee? And she has those visions of that underground chamber where she lights those candles. Yes. And we flashback again to that in the beginning of this episode. So the writers are clearly trying to make it seem like that's important. I think that was a real location. I think that was like an underground mining rig or, or something like that. And I think that Harvey discovered the entrance to it. And that's how he's alive. And I think that the reason this moss and stuff is on this tree is because it's growing directly above a source of heat. Namely, the fucked up underground mining complex. And I think that's how Harvey survived in the underground mining complex. The elements can't get you, and maybe they had some, like, tinned food there for him to live on. What's the source of heat? I don't know. But one will exist, I think. Or maybe and, not. And, like, is there a... A source of, like, air refurbishment? I mean, there must be. Or is be. it just, like, a closed environment? I mean, I hope, I hope not the latter, but yeah, look, look, I didn't say it was an airtight theory, but I think, <laughs> basically, I think that Harvey... No, are we saying that his environment was airtight? No. <laughs> you know, I'm just merely posing the question. Good one, good one. Yeah, I, I think that I'm not necessarily fully working out on the details, but I think that... Harvey survived by hiding in the place that Lottie saw in her visions. And I think that 
it's somehow connected to the mossy stump. I mean, it's it's definitely going to become relevant at some point in the story because otherwise they wouldn't have no absolutely. And I think and I think this event is going to cause Travis to have faith in Lottie because what she said came true. And I think this is going to cause some really juicy conflicts between him and Nat. And indeed, the rest of the girls will be divided in two groups. But anyway, so just theory. You know, agree with it, disagree with it, that's fine. Now, we come to the final bit of this episode. Shauna, as the song is playing, Cornflake Girl, she's holding the ear, as Tori Amos says, things are getting kind of gross. <laughs> Which they are. And then, she eats Jackie's ear. Because what else was she going to do with it? You know? She is snacky Jackie. She is indeed. We're going to keep saying that until it is no longer funny. <laughs> Such a great fucking moment. Like when that happened, I was like, holy fucking shit. It's like, it's exactly, the, it's the perfect thing of like, with a, a weird fucked up twist, you should be able to anticipate that it's about to happen a couple of seconds before it happens. And that was very much the case for me. Like, I just realized like, what's she doing with that? I'm like, oh no, is she about to? That's not going to go in there, is it? <laughs> But yeah, like, the ear is pretty chewy, you know? Like, it's cartilage. Yeah, you know, it's a sort of shit you give to dogs because they're like, Indeed. chew on shit. It's like when people say, I've made a real pig's ear of this. That's meant to imply that it doesn't look very good. I've done a, your dad of cooking a steak. <laughs> sorry if you're listening. Yeah, sorry, dad. We love you. But yeah, the soft launch of cannibalism. Absolutely amazing ending. Absolutely love it. It's rich with potential thematic meaning. She wants to consume Jackie. She wants to take her identity. She wants some kind of posthumous revenge on her. She she felt like Jackie never listened to her, never really heard the person that she was, so now she wants to make her have to listen to her forever. You, you, there's a million ways you could interpret it. Or maybe she was just pregnant and hungry as fuck. Well, you know, that is a thing that happens. But yeah, yeah. No, that's the episode. I fucking love this episode. It had amazing scenes out the wazoo. Thought it was fucking great. I could not be excited, more excited for the rest of this season. Uh, My thoughts before you ask are that I hope they continue with this volition. It was good. I hope they do too. Keep it up. Hey, you had some thoughts. I had some thoughts. Hey! Woohoo! The circle of the calendar. Anyway, dearest listeners, if you've uh, enjoyed this episode, or even if you hadn't, why not leave us a review on Spotify or iTunes stating your opinion? We keep trying to get these out on roughly the same schedule, but as I say, we both have full-time jobs, so there's no guarantee of that. We'll just try and get them out whenever we can, and stay tuned for our future episodes. We're very excited for this season, and we're very excited for you to go on this ride with us. That is all. Good night, and good luck. <laughs> and good night to you too, as Peter Griffin would say. <laughs> no. Listeners... Be well. And remember, we're not out of the woods yet. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.